Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, pro-life activist David Benham gets arrested outside an abortion facility. He was charged with violating a local stay-at-home order. The case has attracted national attention. Also on today's show, a program that allows larger churches to help smaller churches. Plus, a word of warning to church leaders about taking government money. All that and a lot more on today's edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. We begin today with a word of warning from Chuck Bentley, the CEO of Crown Financial Ministries, one of the biggest, best-known financial ministries in the country. Bentley says Christian ministry leaders should think twice about taking government funds. Yeah, on April 3rd, Chuck Bentley released an open letter to churches and Christian ministries. He called on Christian leaders to exercise extreme caution before taking money earmarked for nonprofits as part of the $2.2 trillion CARES Act. And you spoke to him after this letter came out. Yeah, I did, because a lot of the articles that I've read uh, discuss how to get the money, but this is one of the very few Christian leaders that I had heard about ask whether we should perhaps refuse the money. And what was his argument against taking this money? Well, he had several. First of all, he said Christian ministries should ask their supporters for money before going to the government. If there's a real need, the ministry should be transparent with its own donors. He also said that a lot of people in this country are not happy about taxpayer money going to Christian ministries. They don't believe in what these Christian ministries do. But doesn't the government give money every day to organizations that not everyone supports? I mean, the federal government gives money to Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider. Well, you're exactly right, Natasha, but that's kind of the point. Most Christians, in fact, strongly object to that. We say the government should not be funding those activities. Chuck Bentley wonders if Christians will be giving up the moral high ground on that very argument and others like it if we start taking government money ourselves. The money doesn't come, this particular money from the CARES Act, Chuck Bentley says, doesn't come with too many strings attached. He admits that straight away. But what about the potential hypocrisy of the transaction itself? If a pro-life ministry takes money, will that compromise the ministry's ability to say that Planned Parenthood shouldn't get government money as well? So is Chuck Bentley saying it's a sin to take this money? Well, no, he doesn't quite go that far. In fact, he was pretty clear that it depended upon the individual circumstances of the ministry or even the church. But what he is saying is you need to pause and ask if you really need the money and if it will compromise your organization's witness and work in the future. So has Ministry Watch taken a position on this question? I mean, should ministries take this money? 
Well, we haven't taken the position that it is wrong to take the money. Ministry Watch has reached out to other Christian leaders in addition to Chuck Bentley. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and name some names. We talked about a few of them last week, Natasha, Marvin Alasky at World Magazine, John Stenberger, who runs the Florida Family Policy Council, and Travis Wassow with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. They all said that while they have concerns, they would not oppose a ministry taking money earmarked as part of the CARES Act. And by the way, you can read a transcription of my conversation with Chuck Bentley that has a whole lot more than what we've uh, gone into today by going to ministrywatch.com. It's right there on the front page. And one thing's for sure, the current crisis is likely going to put a strain on a lot of ministries. In fact, Warren, you reported on a survey that suggests nearly all charitable organizations are feeling a negative impact. Yeah, that's right. A survey that was conducted by Charities Aid Foundation America, uh, they found that almost all all of the 544 global and local charitable organizations that it surveyed, and that when I say almost all, it means a full 97% uh, said that they have been negatively impacted by COVID-19. Managers at more than 44% of charities uh, that provide direct services to those affected by the pandemic uh, say they're facing a steep decline in contributions while they're also facing increased cost for providing these additional services. And it's not just a financial impact either. That's right. Other negative impacts uh, that have been reported, were reported by this survey, include uh, broken supply chains, which means they can't get what they need, staffing and operational inefficiencies, government and travel uh, restrictions, and an inability to just meet the basic expectations of those that are being served. And I know that you have a lot more results on the Ministry Watch website, but what are a few highlights of the survey? Right. Well, in addition to the ones that I just mentioned, here are a few others that I think were particularly of interest and in some ways telling. 68% of the ministry leaders reported a decline in contributions, uh, either to donors giving less or the inability to reach the donors in some way. They just couldn't get through to them. Uh, 63% have experienced travel disruption, and that included cancellations of events, the ability to work effectively to have meetings, uh, contact contacting clients, donors, and recipients, and 56% reported an issue with client relations of some kind or another. Uh, In other words, you've got an organization that is actually serving people that are affected by COVID-19. They can't do that. Uh, Either they can't get to them because of travel restrictions or there have been barriers for service in some way or another, including the cancellation, as I said, of public events or face-to-face operations. Warren, we have to take a break, but when we return, the story of David Benham's arrest in North Carolina. He was quietly protesting outside an abortion facility, but local officials said he was violating a local stay-at-home order. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'll be back after the short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Up next is a story I mentioned before the break, the story of Christian business owner and activist David Benham. He was arrested outside an abortion clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina last week for allegedly failing to comply with North Carolina's COVID-19 stay-at-home order and the social distancing orders. Well, Benham, though, claims he was unlawfully arrested and he was in full compliance with the statutes and he accused the police of selectively enforcing the law. Benham was one of eight pro-life volunteers arrested, according to the Charlotte Observer. Yeah, he was. And, you know, Natasha, a bit of background here might be helpful. David Benham and his twin brother, Jason, founded an organization called Cities for Life in Charlotte a decade ago, 10 years ago, and they got their pro-life activism honestly. Their father, Flip Benham, has been a famous pro-life activist since the 1970s. In fact, some of our listeners might remember that Norma McCorvey, who was the Roe in the original Roe v. Wade decision, was baptized in a pool, a famous photograph of that, by Flip Benham, David and Jason Benham's father. And I should add, also in a spirit of full disclosure, that I've known both Flip Benham uh, and his sons, David and Jason, for more than 25 years. I've known David and Jason Benham since they were boys. In fact, they often accompanied their father as teenagers on pro-life protests. And a lot of people might know the Benham brothers because of a few years ago, HGTV canceled a television show that they were developing because of their pro-life and pro-family activism. Yeah, that's right. And Benham said that he didn't go out to protest last Saturday until he had a lawyer go through the county and state stay-at-home orders. He says that they took special care to make sure that they actually weren't going to violate the law. This sounds mostly like a local story to me, Warren. So why are you bringing it up here? Well, for several reasons. Uh, First, as we said, the Benhams themselves are nationally known and a lot of people follow their activities. Uh, But this action also highlights the fact that many abortion facilities around the country are still operating, while pro-life organizations are facing barriers to the free exercise of their ability to operate and their rights of free speech. And I should also mention that Senator Ted Cruz has taken to Twitter in support of the Benham brothers, and David Benham in particular now in this case. He said, if North Carolina deems abortion essential, then pregnancy care services are as well. That's the tweet from Senator Ted Cruz. And in another tweet, Ted Cruz said, social distancing must not be used as an excuse to silence pro-life views. Arresting this advocate who was following social distancing requirements because of his pro-life speech was unconstitutional and a serious abuse of power. And I understand that on the same weekend, there were crowds in Charlotte's local parks. Yeah, that's right. Of course, you know, as we say at the top of every program, uh, Natasha, I live here in Charlotte, so I know this is true. Uh, But we also have the evidence of a Charlotte-based reporter that writes for a website called Charlotte Stories. He had posted photos of popular local parks that were just packed with people walking, congregating on benches, playing volleyball games, 
tanning out in the beautiful weather that we've been having here in Charlotte. No arrests were made in any of those situations. So you're saying that these arrests sound more like selective enforcement of law, targeting specifically pro-life activists. Well, that's exactly what David Benham and Ted Cruz are saying, and and I offer that other evidence from Charlotte Stories just to sort of back them up. I should also add that on March 28th, uh, four volunteers from another pro-life ministry called Love Life were arrested in Greensboro, North Carolina, about an hour and a half up the road from Charlotte, for allegedly violating the state's stay-at-home order there as well. They filed a lawsuit on April 2nd saying that the arrests were in violation of of their first and 14th Amendment rights. Warren, is this the same Love Life ministry that you wrote about for the Ministry Watch website a few months ago? Yeah, it was. Uh, and I recommend that if our listeners want to know more about Love Life, it's a great ministry, they should go to our website and simply type in Love Life or Pro-Life into the search engine, and you'll find that story plus a lot of other great coverage that we've done on the pro-life movement. Our next story is a strange and sordid story of a Mexican megachurch pastor who has been in a California jail. Yeah, Nason Joaquin Garcia he leads a very large church in Mexico. And when I say large, Natasha, they claim to have 5 million members uh, worldwide. The church is called La Luz del Mundo, which means the light of the world. And while the church is sometimes described in secular media accounts as an evangelical church, it really doesn't subscribe to evangelical theology. It doesn't believe, for example, in the Trinity, its leaders have lavish lifestyles, and there have for years been persistent accusations against the leaders of this church for financial and sexual improprieties. Now, more of these accusations surfaced in California. Uh, they did. Um, Nassan Joaquin Garcia, the pastor that I just mentioned, uh, has been held on child rape and human trafficking charges in a Los Angeles jail since last June. So, you know, eight months, nine months almost. A child pornography charge was added uh, later. But just this week, a California appeals court ordered the dismissal of the criminal case against Garcia. That ruling came on Tuesday. He had been held without bail because he was so rich that he could post any possible bail. And he was considered a flight risk, I take it. So why was this sudden release? Why did that happen? Yeah, well, court watchers are saying that the California Attorney General's office really made a series of blunders that Garcia's attorneys were able to exploit to their advantage. One of the mistakes, according to the appeals court, was denying a speedy trial uh, to Garcia. Uh, the Attorney General's office said that it was reviewing the court's ruling, but other than that, wouldn't answer any additional questions from the media. And it's also not clear when Garcia will be released, even though the court has ordered it. The appeals court ruling states that the Los Angeles County Superior Court must dismiss the 29 felony charges against him, though. Warren, we're going to take another break, but when we return, how churches are helping other churches during the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. As I promised before the break, we've got a story about how churches are helping each other during these tough times. Yeah, through an organization called Churches Helping Churches Initiative, a relief fund has been set up to provide $3,000 grants to churches that are at risk of closing in the next three months due to a decrease in financial giving. The initiative is led by the and campaign with support from other organizations like the National Latino Evangelical Coalition and the Pine Tops Foundation. That sounds like a great idea, but can can that really make a difference, do you think? Well, organizers hope to raise at least $500,000 during the month of April um, through the help of Christian donors, foundations, and larger churches. And more than 20 donors have already stepped up and contributed $160,000. So they're already more than a third or about a third of the way there. The National Christian Foundation, which is, of course, a well-known, well-respected national organization, will be administering the grants. There's an application process which opened up on Monday, and you can find a link to that application process at the Ministry Watch website. Now, you said that these initiatives uh, target small congregations. How small are we talking here? Well, pretty small. Congregations which are between 25 and 150 members in size. They also want to target uh, congregations that are in low-income communities and in urban areas that have been disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 economic shutdown. Uh, These are churches that will receive priority considerations, but I should mention that rural churches that are in low-income communities will also be considered. Uh, Justin Gibney, who is the president of the AND campaign, is helping to lead the initiative. He's a former Obama administration advisor, but and he leads an organization called Pro-Life Democrats, so he kind of plays both sides of the fence politically. Uh, He has said that these are no strings attached to grants, that churches will not be told how to spend the money. Now, Gimney also noted that small churches often have a big impact in their communities. Yeah, they do. And of course, we've seen that in our own work at Ministry Watch as well. But this is what Gibbony said. A lot of these communities are dependent on these smaller churches. Uh, And he said that it's important uh, that although the federal government has moved to provide assistance, that churches help other churches, that it's time for us to step up and help our brothers and sisters in need. And he also noted that many small churches don't have hefty savings accounts or large annual incomes to rely on whenever things get tough. They rely almost solely or mostly on their weekly offerings. So I guess that the $3,000 can go a long way with these churches. Yeah, maybe with a big church, $3,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but on average, churches that have a weekly attendance of 50 or fewer people uh, generate only about $45,000 a year in annual income. And um, so if you 
think that a lot of pastors are also bivocational. In other words, they might have a day job and they're just pastoring part-time. $3,000 could end up being a full month salary or more for a part-time pastor at some of these smaller churches. And as we already identified at the top of the podcast, these needs are acute. A lot of churches and nonprofits are suffering. Yeah, they sure are. And I should also mention that there's been a new Barna survey just out. Uh, It surveyed 434 Protestant senior and executive pastors and found that nearly 8 in 10 or 79% said that financial giving was down at their church. And nearly half, 47%, said that giving was down significantly. Now, Warren, before we end today, I want to remind everyone about the transparency grades Ministry Watch has been posting. We mentioned this last week, but there's been a new development. Yeah, on April the 1st, uh, and this is what we mentioned last week, we unveiled new transparency grades for almost all of the ministries in our database. And we grade the ministries from A to F, A being the best, of course, and F being a failing grade based on how easy it is for us to see their financial information. And Warren, I know that you've posted an article on the website fully explaining the process you use to arrive at that transparency grade. And we talked about it, the rating system last week. So I just want to encourage everyone to go onto that website for more information. But I wanted to ask you about the new list that you posted this week. Yeah, last week we posted the ministries that get an A grade. Those are the good guys, about 200 ministries. But this week we posted a list of ministries that got an F transparency grade. This list has uh, only about 20 ministries on it, so it's a much smaller list. But I really encourage everyone listening to take a look at that list and share it with their family and friends. This is a list of ministries that Christian donors should stay away from, or at the very least, should be asking some very tough questions before they give. If you'd like to read more about the stories we discussed on today's program, just go to ministrywatch.com and you'll find them right on the front page. If they're not there, or if you'd like to dig around into the Ministry Watch archives for hundreds of articles and other great resources, use the search engine, which is also on the front page, to find what you're looking for. Yeah. Also, if you're interested in finding out more about the 500 largest ministries in the country, including the newly added transparency rating that I just mentioned, go to ministrywatch.com and look for the bright red search for a ministry button at the upper uh, left-hand side of the page. We have financial information, our own financial efficiency rating, and now those transparency grades for the 500 largest Christian ministries in the country. Ministry Watch is also tracking changes to the membership status of organizations that are in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. We bring that information to you each and every week in my weekly review column posted every Friday. Our producers are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get technical support from Casey Sedeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Alejandra Molina, Jack Jenkins, Warren Smith, and Ann Stike. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren and I would like to wish you and your families a safe and happy Easter. May God bless you. 